This is Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter, first, uh, chapter 15, verses 1 through 28. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. I preach to you which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed." Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, And by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, that last line, God may be all in all. Lord, that is our prayer for this Resurrection Sunday. Lord, on Friday you died. You made atonement for our sins. It was quiet on Saturday. And then on Sunday as the ladies went to finish up the burial rites, they found an open tomb and you had risen. That you were alive, that you were resurrected, that you defeated sin, death, hell, and Satan. And Lord, that is why we are here this morning. We are here because you have risen. And we are here to worship you. Lord, billions of people across this planet are lifting up the name of the resurrected Christ. 
And Lord, it'd be crazy for us if we haven't read the news that in Sri Lanka, there was bombings of churches and some 200 Christians died at the services and the gatherings. Well, it's just a, a, a stark reality that there's an enemy out there that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But you have raised from the dead. You have destroyed this enemy. You have destroyed his plots. And Lord, those that, that die, it is a gateway to heaven that trusted you. So right now, there is angels in heaven rejoicing, receiving the sons and daughters of your sons that have believed in Christ. And Lord, we rejoice, but we also mourn. And we pray for those families. We pray that the gospel would go forth. And that many would come to Jesus because they would see how the people, the followers of Christ, love and serve one another in this strategy. But Lord, it's also reminded for us of how good we have it here. And so Lord, may we take full advantage of that in our lives where we live, work, and play, that we would take the gospel of the resurrected Christ to our friends and our family members and our, our, our st students and co-workers so that they may know you. Thank you again for your word. Thank you again for the gospel. Thank you again for Easter Sunday. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Guys, go ahead and be seated. So we got five points today. Uh, usually I'm a two to three point guy. We got five, so we'll rip through them quickly. But after, at the end of each point, I'm going to say, Christ has risen, and you're going to respond. Yes. So that is something the way the early church greeted one another. It was kind of like, hey, what's up, man? How you doing? They were like, hey, Christ is risen. They're like, he's risen indeed. So we're going to keep within that tradition. And in keeping with history, I want to go back to a to a, the top 10 comebacks in world history, according to Sports Illustrated in 2001, all right? So I know there's been 18 years since that, but we're looking at this, this top 10 comeback in world history. And it's not just in the sporting world. It's in all the world, world events. And here are some of those comebacks. Uh, one, humanity. Humanity. Uh, during the Black Plague that, that wrecked Europe in the 1347 to 1351. I don't know, in that four-year period, some 75 to 200 million people died in that short time. But obviously, Europe bounced back. And so we thank the Lord for that. Uh, Muhammad Ali in 1974, he was stripped of the heavyweight title. And after seven years, he came back and he knocked out George Foreman in Zaire. Uh, to win back to back, uh, win back the belt. And then we have Michael Jordan. Now, I experienced this one firsthand. Michael Jordan in 1995, he went from back from baseball and he went back to basketball. I was in spring training with Michael Jordan. The White Sox were in the Twins organization. I was the Twins organization. We were in the same spring training. So I got to experience firsthand the Michael Jordan phenomena in baseball. And let's just say it's a good thing he went back to basketball, all right? Uh, Japan, rise from the ashes of World War II to become an industrial superpower. And then there's always one on the list that you're just like, oh, what? Are you guys ready for the one on the list that just makes you shake your head? Sports Illustrated, top 10 comebacks in world history. John Travolta's movie career, all right? I know, right? I, there's probably just some angry intern back there just like, I'm going to show everybody, right? Well, the number one, all those who are not in random order, but the number one greatest comeback in the history of mankind, Sports Illustrated got it right, it was Jesus Christ, 33 A.D. 
He defied the critics and stunned the Romans and the Jews, the religious leaders, with his resurrection. Just think about that. Sports Illustrated in 2001 said that is the greatest comeback in world history. And again, we say he got it right. And we know he got it right because basically the whole world stops today to worship or acknowledge Easter, Jesus, his resurrection. Even, even those that don't believe in Jesus will, will go to a, to a gathering like this to acknowledge what he has done. And if that's you this morning, man, we just say, man, we're glad you're here. We know you probably got dragged here. You know, you probably made a bet and you lost. And so, you know, you had to come here. But, man, we're glad you're here. And today what I want to do is, as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, is I'm going to look at five implications for our lives because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Resurrection life. How does that impact you and me? Over the last couple years, we've gone through the, the stories and I've given an evidence for the proof that Jesus has raised from the dead, biblical, historical, um, circumstantial. But today we're going to focus on the implications. Why is it important and how does it impact our lives? So first implication is this, resurrection life, justification, and forgiveness. 1 Corinthians 15.1, now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And I want you to stop right here. Paul is writing to a church like us. Uh, he's writing to a, to a, a church plant, a, a church that's been around and is being bombarded by the culture around them with a different narrative about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And some things are starting to seep into the church. So what Paul wants to do, the reason why he, written, he wrote 1 Corinthians was to bring them back to center. Bring them back to the thing that is most important, in fact, of first importance, and that is the gospel and the resurrection. And so verse 3 says, verse three says For I deliver to you as of first importance that I also received from Christ, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. And we see right off the bat that Christ died for our sins is what Paul is bringing them back to. This is first of what is of first importance to Paul. A guy who wrote three quarters of the New Testament, he, he boils it down to this is the most important. And the first thing he says is that Christ died for our sins. Why is that so important for us this morning? It's important because to understand the good news, we must first understand what the bad news is. And the bad news is, is because of our sin, we have been separated from God. And then the good news is, is that Jesus Christ in his life, death, and resurrection purchased our sin. He made payment as we will see. You see, some people want to celebrate Easter without the cross, without the shedding of blood, without the forgiveness of sin. And that's impossible. Uh, today, people are gathering and they're, you know, they're, they're hanging out in their homes. They're wearing their pastel colors. They're, you know, they bought their flowers. They're, they're doing Easter egg hunts. Uh, they're having great meals with family. And all that is awesome. We celebrate all that stuff, but that is secondary to what is first importance. And what first importance about Easter is that Christ died for you and for me. On Friday, we did a celebration here. Maybe some of you came, a lot of you come, and maybe you've gone somewhere else. But uh, the Good Friday service, what we call the darkening service. And, and, we, and we meditated and we focused that Jesus was nailed to the cross as our substitute uh, to make payment for, for my sin to make payment for your sin, to make payment for the world's sin, and that his death on Friday satisfied and paid the debt that was owed. Song we went song was this, it, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath had brought me life. 
I know now that it is finished. And it's those three words that we, we hang our, our hats on on Good Friday. It is finished. Jesus' last word on the cross gave verbal testimony to this fact. He said this in John 19.30. Jesus said, it is finished. To tell us die. It is done. It is complete. And then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit, the scripture says. You see, at that moment, our sins were atoned for. They were satisfied. They were, they were paid for. Christ, our substitute, fulfilled being the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And those sins of the world included your sin and my sin for those who have repented and trusted in Him. And the resurrection secures that truth for us. Him, him rising on Sunday secures that truth for us. Romans 4 25 says this, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead. So those that believe in Jesus, the one who raised from the dead, this is what will be counted to you. Who was delivered up for our trespasses and sins and raised for our justification. Raised for, holy cow, kids are having fun. That's awesome. I like it. <laughs> raised for our justification. This is a massively important fact that we must understand, not only intellectually, but also in our hearts as well, that, but that Jesus raising from the dead, he was declaring something. And what he was declaring was great news, good news for you and me. The Lord God was declaring that Jesus' life, his death, his sacrifice on the cross was sufficient, was complete, was total. He paid the full price that was due our sin and the sin of the world. And there's no penalty of sin left to be paid. Therefore, when we approach God in the throne room, the Lord God, the God of holiness, when He sees those who are in Christ, when He sees those who have repented in Christ and trust in what He has done for them, He declares us not guilty. He sees Aaron Santini, and He says, Aaron Santini, you are righteous. You are holy. You are not guilty. Enter the joy of your master. And it's not because of anything good or bad that I have done. It's because what Christ has done for us. This is an incredible verdict. And it is the beginning of the gospel. The resurrection complete this. No longer do we carry the shame, the guilt, the pain of sin. You and I have been set free for those who are in Christ. Our ledger has been wiped clean. We are white as snow. We are justified. We are forgiven. The resurrection of Jesus Christ verifies this truth, that Christ was successful in dying and making payment, atonement for our sins. And now our sins are justified. We are forgiven past, present, and future. And we need to say that because there are, all of us need to hear that truth, but in particular, there are some of you that need to hear that truth even more right now. Because you tend to beat yourself up. You look at your life and maybe what you did last night and you're like, no way, there I go again. I've, I did the same thing. The Lord doesn't. He can't forgive me. How can I call himself a Christian when I keep on sinning like that? And then you have the enemy, the accuser that's coming in saying, yeah, you're, you're, you're worthless. How could Christ love you? Well, because of the resurrection, Christ says you are not a sinner. But when I look at you, you're a saint. You are my child. You are a child of the King. And this is what the resurrection does for us. It proves that Christ died for our sins so that we can have forgiveness and the surety forgives. Carl Menninger, a famous psychologist, psychiatrist, said this, 
that if he could convince the patients in the psychiatric hospitals that their sins were forgiven, 75% of them could and would walk out the next day. I'm here to tell you this morning, standing on the resurrection of Christ, the empty tomb, that we can walk out those doors with assurance, being convinced that we have been forgiven. We can be assured that we have been justified. When the Lord sees us, He sees us as not sinners but saints because of what Christ has done. You don't have to carry around the the baggage of guilt for your sin. You can walk in freedom because you have been justified. You have been declared not guilty by the righteousness of Christ. The resurrection proves that. He is risen. Amen. Second one. Another important kind of theological concept that we must understand. Resurrection of life is victory. Verse 3, for I delivered to you as a first importance what I also, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Verse 4, that he was buried. That he was buried. Jesus was buried and verified the reality of Christ's death. He didn't just pass out and then get revived three days later. No, he died. One puts it this way. In the present context, it emphasizes the fact that a dead corpse was laid in the grave. So that, for this purpose, that the resurrection that follows would be recognized as an objective reality. Not merely as a spiritual phenomenon. He rose physically because he died physically. Now again, there's something really important here regarding this. The resurrection solidifies for us. Why do we bury people? Why do we bury people? Because they're dead, right? Because they have died, they're, they're no longer with us. 1 Corinthians 15, 16, look at that, it says this. And if Christ had not been raised, then your faith is futile, it's worthless, and you are still in your sins. Look at verse 26. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And so what Paul's saying here, that if, if Christ has not raised, that means he's still in the grave. He's dead, and our, and our sins are still ruling and reigning. Death is still ruling and reigning. We see that the wages of sin is death. We are slaves to sin, therefore we're slaves to death. And so there's no hope. There's no hope if Christ didn't raise. Because that means he lost the fight to be Savior. He lost the fight against sin in death if he did not raise. But of course it goes on and says, but Jesus did raise. And because he raised, we have hope. Why? Because we know that he conquered sin and our last enemy, death. Sin and death don't longer rule anymore. The resurrection Christ rules over sin and death. So here's the deal. This is what it means. Think about all the world's philosophies, all the other religions out there. Muhammad, the prophet Muhammad for Islam, is buried in Medina, Saudi Arabia. You, you can make a trip to his um, his uh, burial every year, and they celebrate his death. Gandhi, Buddha, they were cremated. Plato, Aristotle, uh, they, they're dead. And all the religious philosophies and philosophers and the leaders and the, the religious sages are all dead. So what does that mean? It means whatever they preach regarding life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness gets you as far as what? The grave and no farther. It gets you to death but not beyond. But because Jesus Christ's tomb was empty on that Sunday morning some 2,000 years later, because he walked out alive, we know that the biggest enemy of sin and death has been defeated and has no more rule over our lives. That he is alive, that he is well, that he is living, that he is ruling and reigning on the right hand of God the Father. Now, I don't know about you, 
But I'm following the dude that's alive, ruling and reigning. I'm not following the people that are dead and still in the grave. Amen? Therefore, we don't need to be afraid of death or confused by death. Uh, in, in our society, we're, we're scared to talk about death. We put death over here on the side. We're having all kinds of techniques and, and clinics and health foods and, and all kinds of stuff, medical procedures to, to keep us young. Because why? We don't want to face death, right? That's our culture. We're scared of death. One astrophysicist said this, Adam Frank, he said this, Death is the question beyond all questions. The unrelenting mystery It is there always. And we would say, I graciously disagree with you, Adam. It's not an unrelenting mystery. We know exactly what death is. And we also know exactly what is beyond death because Jesus has conquered it. And so we can have full hope when we face death because we know Jesus in his resurrection verifies that he truly was the one who said he was, that he was the savior of the world. And when Jesus says, hey, in three days, I'm going to raise this body, he did. You see, death is is like a car. What does a car do for you and for me? It gets us to where we want to go, right? It gets us to where we want to go. And that's what death is to the Christian, the one that is living a resurrected life. Death just gets us to where we want to go, and that is to heaven. And that is to heaven. So here's the news. There's, there's two types of, of bees that sting, right? Here's kind of the, the illustration. Who in here has been stung by like a honeybee? Raise your hand. It sucks to be stung by a honeybee, right? Now, who in here has been stung by a yellow jacket? Raise your hand. That's even worse. Why? Because a honeybee, when he stings you, the, the, the stinger stays in your body. And then he goes away and what happens? He dies, right? So I, I remember, I mean, I get stung. And it's like, oh, Man, right? And all of a sudden, I see this little bee just dying. I'm like, die, you know? And I'm going to help you, you know? And I just mash that bee. But then you got the yellow jacket. The yellow jacket, it doesn't lose its stinger when it stings you. And it can sting you over and over. So it's just like, zip, zip. It's just, it's just working you, right? But here's the deal in the gospel, the resurrection. Jesus took the bee sting. He, he, he took death for you and for me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting for those in Christ has happened once and it has been taken care of. Death is now dead. For those apart from Christ, death is like a yellow jacket. It just keeps stinging over and over and over again. So resurrection life in verse 3, that he was buried, gives us the victory. It shows us that his resurrection triumphed over sin and death, our last enemy. And we know what happens beyond that. Third, oh, nope, nope. He is risen. Amen. Third, resurrection life, first fruits. For I delivered you of first importance, where I also received that Christ died for our sins accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. You see that phrase over and over again, accordance with the scripture, accordance with the scripture, accordance with the scripture. That's, that's referencing all the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus, which we're not going to get into, but there's, there's some over 300, and they all have come in true. But you see, it all points to Jesus as the resurrected Christ. The resurrection is the pinnacle 
of the gospel message. The death and resurrection is the pinnacle of the gospel. And since the beginning of the church, when Christ died in the book of chapter in Acts, where it sees the birth of the church, the central theme as you see all the apostles and all their messages is the resurrection of Christ. They encourage people to trust him as the one who is alive, risen from the dead. B.B. Warfield said this, the resurrection of Christ is the center of the gospel. Again, I'm not going to get into all the the, the, the biblical evidence, but I want to quote this historian, this world-famous historian that said this. And again, I want to say something else too. If you're in here and you don't believe and you're a skeptic, you're like, okay, you're telling me some dude raised from the dead after three days in there. Yes, we're telling you that. We believe that. You're like, you're crazy. Yes. Okay, maybe. But ask the questions. Follow through. There is ample evidence. Our faith is not a blind faith. Many men and women wiser than us have sought through this and saw the evidence. And both sacred and secular say that Jesus did rise from the dead. So if you are skeptical about it, man, we're glad you're here. And this is a place where you could ask questions. Come and talk to me. And let's, let's ask those questions. Bring those questions and, and let me take you to the scriptures and both, again, sacred and secular to, to prove. But this is what Thomas Arnold said. He said this. He said, I've been used for many years to study the histories of other times and to examine the weight and the evidence of those who have written about, have written about them. And I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is proved by better and fuller evidences of every sort than the great sign which God had given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. It's from one of the greatest historians to ever live. Our faith is not a blind faith. It's based on grace and it's based on truth. But I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 20, uh, verse 20 now. Because Paul highlights something about the resurrection of Christ. He highlights this as a first fruits, a, a, a new kind of life, a, a resurrected life. Look at verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of all those who have fallen asleep. For as by one man death, Adam, came by uh, a man has come also the resurrection of the dead Jesus for as in Adam all died so in Christ shall be made all alive but each in his own order Christ the first fruits then at his coming of those who belong to Christ the key words there is obviously the first fruits uh, what does it mean to be first fruits that's an agricultural term uh, we have any farmers in here we got some farmers in here some ranchers right first fruits okay um, so most of us are probably unfamiliar with that term so what it means is back then what would happen is um, the, the farmers would go out and they would they would sow the seed on the land right and they would wait for the for the harvest the, the crops to then grow and become mature and what the first fruits w- means is this that the first samples of whatever pops up say it's corn we're planting corn the first samples of that would would be an example of what kind of crop would continue throughout the year what would indicate the nature and the quality of the rest of the crop and so we apply that first fruits means to now what he's saying here. We see two very different kinds of first fruits, two very different kinds of crops coming from two individuals. One is the first Adam, Adam and Eve, and one is the second Adam or Jesus. We see the first fruits of Adam, the first Adam, produce what? Say so produce death, for in Adam all died. It means when Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis chapter three, every person that would follow him would sin, would die. But then we have the first fruits of Christ. And we see the first fruits of Christ produce eternal life. For in Christ all shall be made alive. 
So everyone that repents of their sins and trusts in Christ's life, death, and resurrection, you now follow into, follow Christ's resurrected body. He is the first fruits. He is the crop of the resurrection, this new kind of life that is described here. And then that everyone that follows in Christ's footsteps by faith has this resurrected life. So Jesus stepping out of the garden tomb was his birthplace of new life, resurrection life. And what we see here is he has a new glorified physical body. Now there's a lot of things that we can talk about, but I want to focus on the glorified physical body of resurrection life. Because he wasn't resurrected like Lazarus. We might know that Lazarus was raised from the dead, right? Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. But, but in a way that Lazarus still got sick after he was raised. He, he still was hungry. He still died. So this resurrection is a, is a, is a dawning of a new age, is a new life, a new kind of life that the world has never seen before. And Jesus is the first fruits of that. When Jesus rose in a physical body, he rose that body was perfect. It was no longer subjected to sin, to pain, to weakness, to hunger, to aging, to death. His body was incorruptible and raised in glory. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 35, describes all this and also other places in the Bible. And that this body was able to function in this life, but also in the next. And I want to just, again, just, just get real practical with you uh, on, on how this truth hits you and hits me. And I've been, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because, man, I'm feeling the, the, the aches and pains of getting older. I mean, I'm three years away from a 50 burger right now, and it's It's crazy. I know when all you guys talked to me about my suit, I'm like, yeah, I had to find a suit that matches my hair color, right? You know, Um, because I'm getting old. But here's where we see the resurrection, the new life, the resurrection gives us hope, gives me hope. Um, As as, as maybe many of you guys know, I used to I used to be an an elite athlete. All right. Played professional baseball at the Minnesota Twins in their organization. So I was a I was a pretty good athlete. But, but now, as you get older and as you get away from there, you notice that your chest starts to drop in your drawers and you're getting a little bit, you're not the elite athlete that you thought you were, maybe in your mind, but now you're just elite, right? You're not even an athlete, you're just an elite. And, and, and I've been thinking about this because I'm getting more of these aches and pains. And, and the other night, and this has been happening kind of consistently, I've been, I've been waking up about, I don't know, like two, three in the morning. I have this massive heartburn going on in my, in my chest. I'm like, what is that, you know? And all of a sudden, my knee is throbbing. I'm like, oh, my gosh, my knee is throbbing. I haven't even done anything, you know? And then, and then I, I roll over to try to, to try to get comfortable, and I accidentally grab my wife's hair and pulls it. And then what's the response that ladies do? They just do this. And so she pops me in my face, and now my nose hurts. I mean, it's this comic, you know, it's just like, man, this pain. It's just, she doesn't remember it. She just thinks, you know, you did hit me in my face, but all right. But the point is, is that, man, we're, we're getting old. There's a real reality that, man, and, and going through this passage this week, I just thought, oh, Lord, you can't come soon enough. Uh, the, the, the resurrected body can't come soon enough for me and, and for you. Is anyone in the same boat? It's like, holy cow. I mean, I, I, my eyes, you know, I can't see things. I'm, I'm running into walls just as I'm walking. I mean... <laughs> Uh, 
So there's hope in the resurrection body. I was going through my notes, and I, and I, I was reminded of uh, Johnny Erickson Tata. I, I quoted this about six years ago, 2013. And, and uh, for those of you guys who don't, don't know her, she's a paraplegic or quadriplegic. And she was in an accident when she was about 17, 18 years old. She, drove, she was diving into the Chesapeake, uh, Chesapeake Bay and, and misjudged the water. And she, her head hit, and she snapped a couple of vertebrae. And, and so from 17 on, she's been... Um, this happened in the 70s. She's been paralyzed from the, the neck down. She has a great ministry called, I think, Joni and Friends. It's a great ministry. Um, but this is, she was, she was at a, a conference and hundreds of people are around and she was in the wheelchair and, the, and the, the, the leader, the pastor, the worship leader, I forget who one said, I want everyone in here to, to kneel in, in prayer. And we're just going to seek the Lord on, on our knees and humble ourselves. And, and she was in a wheelchair and she, she, she couldn't. And so while everyone was on her knees, she was still sitting in her chair. And all of a sudden, she said this. She thought this, quote, I was reminded that in heaven, if possible, somewhere, sometime before the party gets going, sometime before the guests are called to the banquet table at the wedding feast of the Lamb, the first thing that I plan to do on resurrected legs is drop ungrateful, glorified knees and quietly kneel at the feet of Jesus. Isn't that awesome? She goes on. I was shriveled, bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, no feeling from the shoulders down. Will one day have a new body, light, bright, clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. <coughs> I will jump. I will dance. I will kick. And I will do aerobics. You could tell this was in the 80s, right, when she got this one, right? But think about that. This is an implication of Jesus rising from the dead. He is the first fruits, and we will gain a glorified, resurrected body like him. Can you, can you think of the hope that that brings someone in, in Joni's case? Can you think of the hope of a resurrected body for those who are in Christ? With someone that's manic depressant, someone that's blind, someone that has cancer or arthritis or diabetes, struggles with drugs or alcohol. Can you imagine the hope that this brings, knowing this truth, this fact? Now, right now, we're like, Aaron, okay, I believe, but I don't have my glorified body yet. Not yet. And this is what we talk about in the crossing. It's a, there's a thing called, a phrase called already not yet or and what we mean by that is positionally we have this. It's ours, those that are in Christ. But practically we receive its fullness when glorification comes, when the second coming comes, of Christ comes, and we will get it then. So this is something that, that helps us get along in life now, that we know the aches and the pains and the sicknesses and the disease and the, and the sin that is affecting our bodies now is only for a short time. It's only for a short time, soon to be with Christ in eternity with a new body. Life is tough, and in our darkest hours, when our bodies are failing us, Paul says, look to the resurrection and the hope sooner rather than later, because this will be our state forever. You see, no other religion, no other philosophy can promise that. Promises new bodies, new minds, new hearts. Only the message of Christ can hurting people, suffering people, find such incredible hope. This is what the resurrection can do. Now, again, I don't know what the body's going to look like, feel like. It's going to look a lot like us, 
because we see that Jesus interacted. People recognized Jesus. There were some that didn't because he veiled them. But most people, when he, when he opened eyes, they said, oh, that's Jesus. He, he looked like he did before he resurrected, but better. So I don't know what the body's going to look like. It's going to be better than being an Avenger, I can tell you that. So that's good, right? Um, and we, we might have the ability to appear and disappear. We might have the ability to walk through walls. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? But we, but we all have other things. We'll be able to eat and drink. One of my favorite testimonies is right after in, in Luke 24, Jesus, you know, rises from the dead and he goes and he meets his disciples and, and, and he's hungry. I guess, you know, defeat and death after three days in the grave and resurrecting makes you hungry. And so he said, hey, will someone boil me a fish? He goes, I want to have some fish tacos. Someone make me some fish tacos, you know, and he eats them. Now we're going to, we're going to go from here and probably all of us are going to go have a, a, a good meal. Can you imagine? I mean, we're going to have some good meal, a good steak, you know, a good glass of vino that goes along with that steak. You know, the, our taste buds are like, man, this food tastes so good. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when we have glorified taste buds? It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. This is what Paul was kind of alluding to when he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Christ is risen. Two more quick points. Resurrection life, this is, is, is history. I want to give a little bit of historical evidence. In verse 3, we're going to look at verse 6, that in he says, For I deliver you of first importance, where I also receive that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according with the Scriptures. Verse 5, And that He appeared to Cephas, that was Peter, and then to the twelve, another word for disciples, and then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Here again we see the historical evidence that Jesus truly did rise from the dead because He showed Himself to others after He rose from the dead. Those individuals like Peter, he, he showed himself to the to 12, but the greatest evidence is that he showed himself to over 500 people. Most of them are still alive. So when this was written, when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 15, he wrote that Jesus was written. People were still alive that could have said, hey, you're lying, Paul. I, I was there. There was no Jesus. But in fact, we don't see that anywhere in human history because it truly did happen. Some skeptics try to upon uh, it off and saying, well, the group of the 500 people are just having a group hallucination together. That They all thought they saw Jesus and really they didn't see Jesus. And if anyone knows that, if anyone has, you know, ever tried hallucination drugs, such as peyote, LSD, PCP, um, each hallucination is, is specific to the individual. There's no such thing as a group hallucination, right? At least that's what I've been told. So, um, and, but not only have been told, but also re research confirms that. And so we, we can throw that out. Jesus truly did appear to 500 men and women at one time. I just want to give a, a testimony to the historical relevance of this, of Jesus. Of Jesus showing himself to eyewitnesses, eyewitness account. A guy named Simon Greenleaf, one of the greatest minds that America has ever produced in the law, in fact, one said this, he is the greatest single authority in the entire literature of legal procedures. He was a professor at Harvard. The, actually, the U.S. judicial system today operates under his rules of evidence established, again, by Greenleaf. That's how our court system um, runs itself, off of these guys' rules of evidence. And he was in class one day, and he said, Jesus' resurrection is a myth. Didn't really happen. It's false. And then three students who were Christians challenged him gracefully to look into it. 
using the, the rules and the laws of evidence to prove or disprove if Jesus really did raise from the dead. And this is what he says in his book, A Testimony of the Evangelist. In a shocking reversal, this brilliant scholar and former atheist said, it would have been impossible for the disciples to persist with their conviction that Jesus had risen if they actually hadn't seen the risen Christ. And because of the preponderance of evidence, this legal mind, the greatest in American history, this atheist repented and trusted in Christ. His mind was changed over the historical reliability of the eyewitness testimonies found in the scriptures, both in the Gospels and here. You see, the resurrection, again, as I've been saying over and over again, is not a blind faith. We're just not taking a leap and and just saying, oh, Jesus raised from the dead. There is good, substantial evidence, biblically, historically, and circumstantially, where we read a guy like William Arnold, one of the greatest historians, comes to faith in Jesus because of the evidence. We read a guy like Greenleaf, one of the greatest legal minds, who comes to faith in Christ because of the evidence. And so if that's you, if you're out there and you're a skeptic, man, the evidence is here. Seek it out and see if this is not true. And those of us that believe it's true, he is risen. And then finally and quickly, the fifth implication of a resurrection life is, is mission. If you're a Christian, if, 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 if Christ lives in you, this resurrection life, we are not only saved from something, sin and death, but we are saved to something. Something we're saved to is the, the mission of God, is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to go out and spread the gospel by making disciples. 1 Corinthians 15.3, it says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So someone taught to Paul, and then Paul passed it on. He, we know that Paul received it from Jesus in Galatians, and then he continued to pass it on. And here's the good news. You're like, well, I'm not the Apostle Paul. I'm going to do three quarters of the New Testament. You know, uh, that's not me. Uh, here's the good news. The pressure is off. The pressure is off for you and for me. Why? Because so, Paul, just like you and me, we, we serve like as a, as a mailman, so to speak, as a, a deliverer of the gospel. You see, the person who heralds the gospel, uh, a herald in that ancient time, was not responsible for the content of the message. We don't have to create any new material. We have it in the Bible, the Scripture, the Gospel. It's given to us. All we have to do is is share this message, what we've been talking about all morning. And the second thing a herald is not responsible for is not responsible how the people respond to hear the message. So you see, for you and for me, the pressure's off. The message has been written. We're called to share it, and, and then we're good. How the other people receive it and take it, that's up to them. But for you and for me, we just have to herald the message. That God has given us. You see I want to end with this. You see over in this phrase. If Christ did not die. Then our life. Our faith. Is futile. Our preaching is futile. The things that we do here. Is futile. All the people that wrote. Christian books. Doesn't matter. All the other sudden gatherings. All the baptisms. All that doesn't matter. But right. And if Christ didn't raise from the dead. Then living for Christ. Would be a waste of time. And a waste of your life. And frankly a waste of my life. But since it did happen then living for anything else but Christ would be a waste of time, be a waste of my life and a waste of your life. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that you guys all got to go out and be pastors and missionaries and all that stuff. It means this, that you take Jesus to where you live, work, and play. You take Jesus to your circles of influence, to those that 
you do life with. And yes, you, you work hard to, to make money, to be successful, to provide, to, to have pleasure. That's all good. But that's not primary. What's primary is that you introduce people to the resurrection life. That you introduce people to Jesus Christ. And so that by the time you come to your end of your life, whenever that is, you're laying on your deathbed, you know that you, what you have done and lived for will matter for eternity. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 ends, and this is where I'm going to end. It says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Jesus has risen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this message. Thank you for Paul, a man that, as many of us know, was on his way to, to kill Christians, and you met him head on. He came in contact with the resurrected Christ, and he repented. His life changed forever, and he became one of the greatest apostles to ever live. Lord, because of his wisdom, because of his writings, like in 1 Corinthians, carried along by the Holy Spirit, Lord, we now know what is of first importance. And may that affect our lives. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. We have a new mission of life, a new purpose. And in that purpose, we find that in Christ there is fullness of joy and pleasures forever. And so, Lord, may we take the gospel. May we be the heralders, empowered by the Spirit, to take your message to a dying world that needs you so desperately, just like someone did for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.